Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 301. One of the keys to success in business as you go through your life cycle of your business is where do I need to focus my attention? Where are my core problems? Not where are my symptoms, but where are my core problems? And numbers can help us identify where to go to. Okay, they can help us eliminate certain areas and they can help us focus on identifying where our core problem or core challenges are. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what is going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? I got a great show for you today. Jim Laub is joining us from restaurantowner.com. First, I want to say thank you to Jim for uh, getting behind Restaurant Unstoppable as a sponsor and supporting this cause of, you know, just bringing uh, incredible people in front of you guys to learn from their stories, to learn from their mistakes, to get inspired, to take their advice. I wouldn't be able to do it without my sponsors, and RestaurantOwner.com is one of those sponsors, so thank you. Um, So we have the founder, like I said, Jim Laub of RestaurantOwner.com on the show, and before Jim founded RestaurantOwner.com, he was a CPA uh, and consultant, and he specialized in working with restaurants and their numbers. And today, Jim is going to just list off uh, a few numbers that maybe we don't uh, consider every day or maybe when we're in those early phases uh, of planning and looking for a space for a restaurant that you know that we don't take into consideration some of these numbers he's going to share with us. So that's what we're doing. We're going to stay super aerial. We're going to just cover a few numbers and not just a few numbers, but a few things we can do in our restaurant that are related to numbers um, to really just make a bigger impact in our operation. So it's good stuff. Uh, you're really going to enjoy it. And guys, if this at all gets really uh, confusing for you, he, he starts throwing some numbers at us at some points. Um, just remember, for $1, guys, you can get access to restaurantowner.com for $1, 10 days. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Uh, just head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 301. I have links to... You have to use my links. That's the other thing. Use my links to get restaurantowner.com uh, for $1 for 10 days to try it out. Use the links in the show notes and uh, do some keyword searches once you get there. Some of the things we discussed today to really to dive deeper into the topics we're covering um, and it will make your life a little bit better. So that's all. Great episode coming up. I hope you guys enjoy it. Here it is. So with excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show, Jim Laub. Jim, are you feeling unstoppable today, my man? Eric, because I'm with you, I am definitely unstoppable today. All right. That is what we like to hear. So Jim has served our industry for decades as a CPA and advisor to independent restaurants throughout the U.S. regarding operational, financial, cost control, profitable profitability issues. And today, Jim serves as founder and publisher at RestaurantsOwner.com. RestaurantOwner.com is an incredible resource consisting of business plan, templates, operating systems, procedures, and checklists, training manuals, and webinars. You name it, they got it. If you're opening a restaurant, they're the guys you want to go to, and they are a sponsor of Restaurant Unstoppable. So, again, I can't say enough how thankful I am for your support, Jim. Um, But, yeah, Jim's here today to talk to us about uh, some of the things that aren't quite as sexy uh, 
but extremely important, uh, the finance and accounting side of opening and uh, running a restaurant. But before we talk about that, Jim, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Okay, this maybe isn't really exactly what you're looking for, but it's a really a foundational perspective of life. Uh, it was something that was said by Cicero a couple thousand years ago. And he said, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. And I don't know about you, but I find with it, when I'm not thankful for what I have, if I'm constantly in a mode of wanting more, or needing to have more, or thinking that I need more, or something I don't have, and I'm not, it affects my happiness or my satisfaction with today. I don't like living like that. Mm-hmm. And um, when I step back and I look at all that I do have and how blessed I am, um, life just works better, you know? Yeah. Um, my relationships work out better. Absolutely. So, um, so that is one, one uh, 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 gratitude is something I try to pause for and, uh, and consider and contemplate every single day. It's so important. And it, it just, if you can start your day in that positive place, like you're talking about, you're going to bring that positivity to work. It's going to affect everyone you touch. And uh, it, you owe it to yourself. You only get one shot at this life. So yeah, why not right. be happy, right? I exactly. love it, man. There so, you go. All right. There so um, why don't you just give us a quick um, overview of who you are in case anybody hasn't heard of you um, and what you're sure. here to, to talk about today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I started out in this business like I'm sure many, you know, many folks listening did. They started working in restaurants in high school and I earned my way through college as a bartender and a server and uh, got an accounting degree. And as you said, I was a CPA for a number of years. And as I practiced as a CPA, most of my clients were small independent restaurants. And uh, uh, one thing that I noticed is that it, there were people that were really good at operating a restaurant and with food, but they didn't know anything about managing a business. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, know what, they didn't know the difference really between a P&L and a balance sheet. And uh, um, I found that once they started to learn and appreciate how the numbers, their financial information really reflected what they did in that restaurant every single day, and I tried to make that connection between the numbers and their activities in the restaurant, then it started to make sense for them. And guess what? They started to be better business people, and they started making more money. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that is, that's in a, you know, the Reader's Digest version of kind of my background and kind of you know, why we're here today to discuss the business side and the accounting and financial side of uh, you know, of what people do in restaurants. Awesome. And I had Jim on the show, episode 140, almost two years ago. It's crazy to believe. Wow. Uh, so wow. If you, you want to hear more about Jim's story, we dive deeper in that episode. I'll have the link in the show notes. But today, uh, Jim is our authority on uh, just basically running your business versus, uh, you know, being stuck in your business. And, you know, the things we need to know on the accounting side, uh, like, just measuring and analyzing the key numbers that will play a huge role in your business and different union systems of uh, accounts for restaurants uh, or sorry, uniform systems for accounts in the restaurants. I mean, these are the things that aren't super sexy, but if we want to be successful in uh, this, this industry, we need to know this side of, you know, what's happening and, and what we need to, to do. Um, so let's just talk real quick. Um, what do you mean by running a restaurant versus building a successful business? Well, there are a lot of good people. There are a lot of people that are really good at running restaurants. I mean, you take a lot of general managers out there. I mean, incredibly skilled people. Um, 
But what you tend to see a lot, you see people that have been really good in a restaurant uh, working for somebody else and learning the operational aspects. But guess what happens when they open up their own restaurant? Many times they have trouble, okay, because they, they've never really experienced um, the, uh, the situation of actually being in charge of all the business-related decisions besides the operational decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when you open up a restaurant, I mean, you want to be pay really close attention uh, to your business plan. And one of the most important parts of the business plan is the financial projections. And you don't want to spend, you know, you, you're, you're, what we call it, what we refer to as the sales to investment ratio is just one that's really crucial when you're opening up a new restaurant. You have an expectation of sales. Well, if you have an expectation of sales of $2 million a year, there's really only so much that you can spend on your startup cost. Mm -hmm. If startup costs get beyond a certain point, um, it really doesn't, that restaurant really won't make sense regardless of really how good operators you are if you can't get your sales above a certain point. So so sales to investment ratio is a huge is a huge issue when you're when you're starting up. And also the skill with which you apply and, and come up with those projections and how accurate they are and how reliable or how how trustworthy those numbers are, you know, so and how realistic they are, basically. Let's talk about that, because uh, recently, just real quick, because I recently had somebody reach out to me um, asking for uh, help on this this specific topic on where to go, how to get accurate projections. So how do we get accurate projections? How do we really get a, a solid idea of what we will be making? Where do we start and how to do that right? Well, it's a it's it it's <laughs> it's not easy. Okay, um, and it's a little bit time consuming, but here's what here, here's what we tell folks, and this is what I've done when I, when I used to do a lot of consulting. Um, this is how this is how we did it. What we did is we took a typical week. All right, well then let's say in a typical week, um, this is after we calculate what we think our our our, our check average is going to be. Okay. So we think about our and our check average could be different on a Monday than it would be on a Friday and Saturday. But we break up the week into 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 seven distinct days, okay? And then we think about well, how many customers could we serve, or what would we expect to serve Monday at lunch, Tuesday at dinner, Friday at dinner, and so on and so forth. And what we do, we look at the area of that proposed restaurant, we look at the area and see how other restaurants, how busy those other restaurants are that are pretty similar to ours. Uh, and uh, we, we go into those restaurants, we, we talk to managers, we might get an, a sense of maybe table turns at certain meal periods or something. We may count cars in the, uh, in the parking lot to help us try to project how many people are in that restaurant. And we get a sense of how many people are going to restaurants in that local market area. And once we do that, we plug those, we try to be conservative, and we plug the number of customers that we think we're actually going to uh, serve during each of those meal periods, all right? And then we extrapolate based upon, our, based upon our check average and come up with a typical week, all right? And then we use that to, to, to kind of form a baseline in terms of how busy we think that restaurant's actually going to be. Okay. Does that make does, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And okay. I, I have a, okay. a real quick question just to pull back another layer. I feel like sometimes uh, if we are maybe new to this industry and we're going into a uh, certain neighborhood or community, um, there's a lot of intimidation to approach a business owner and say, hey, I'm looking to open a restaurant down the street and I want some advice from you. I want some numbers. I mean, 
that's a little bit of an awkward situation. So yeah, I w- yeah, I wouldn't advise Eric. I wouldn't advise going to the owner. Okay. I would advise going to going to an assistant manager or okay. even talking talking with the server. How busy are, are y'all um, okay. typically on set? It, it is is this a typical Monday or and so, so on and so forth. And a lot of people that you know the sharp the sharp ones will notice. And mm-hmm. and once you strike up a conversation with them, a lot of times they will give you a whole lot more information than you ever expected. Yeah. Okay. So so that's kind of what uh, that's the approach that I've taken in the past. The point is, is that a lot of times people will say, well, you know, we're going to do, you know, we're going to do thirty thousand a week, or we're going to do twenty five thousand a week. Well, mm-hmm. where did you come up with that number? And that's what the bankers, that's what the investors are going to ask you. Okay. Well, so and so is doing that, and they do that, in, and they're just around the corner. Or, or something like that, or you may talk about how many seats or square footage you're going to have or so on. But in reality, if you're able to show them exactly where you came up with that annual number and how you analyzed a typical week and you went into other restaurants in that area and here's what your check average is projected to be based upon your uh, based upon your menu and so on and so forth, th- th- that's credibility. I mean, th- mm-hmm. that makes your numbers more believable. In mm-hmm. fact, incredibly more so than just pulling a number out of the air. Yeah, and a, one piece of advice that comes up a lot on the show is when you're making these initial projections to be, I mean, to, to lean a certain way. Um, in which direction do you think we should lean in? Should we be super conservative or, I mean, try to be exactly as close to what we think the projections will be? What would you suggest? Well, I would think, um, you know, do, be, be conservative, okay? But also do a do maybe worst case, uh, expected case, and maybe a best case. Maybe mm-hmm. do three uh, three different projections. I think that's 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 very reasonable. Yeah. Awesome. Great advice. Yeah. Um, so okay. one of the other things that you said you wanted to talk about, some of the things that you wanted to point out were why business success requires uh, business skills. So exactly what business skills were you thinking uh, when you put that bullet point in there? Well, when I talk, when I mention business skills, and I have, first of all, a restaurant takes a lot of skills. <laughs> we yeah. all know that. You know, it's a very skill-intensive business. Um, but what we tend to find is that the most successful operators we work with, uh, first of all, they have business skills. Okay, um, they are familiar and they are very, very comfortable working in, in implementing systems. And also, they're great leaders, and they've developed a great culture. And I know you've talked to a lot of people that have really good insights on leadership and culture. Oh, yeah. Um, but when you look at companies like, let's say, uh, McDonald's or Pizza Hut or Chili's, uh, you know, big multinational companies like that, the, the thing that's, that's really kind of neat is that all, all those big multinational restaurant uh, concepts and chains, they all started as one restaurant. You know, I mean, we, when McDonald's started back back in 1954, in fact, a few years before that, in 54 is when Ray Kroc got involved with uh, uh, with McDonald's. But uh, you know, there were a lot of there were a lot of other burger joints back in the 50s. Okay, why McDonald's and why Pizza Hut and why Chili's? They all started just one one restaurant. Well, I think a big part of that, and, and, and there's a lot of factors, but one big part of that is the owners had to be really good business people. They knew how to attract capital. They knew how to create a profit. They knew how to, to uh, obviously, they knew how to do marketing and things of that nature, but I, I consider marketing a business skill, okay? Mm-hmm. So you ask what business skills are. I mean, 
Business skills are everything from understanding understanding the financials. They are, uh, you know, the you know the P and L and the balance sheet and the cash flow statement. Um, it's inventory control. It's uh, uh, systems to control cost. Um, uh, it's uh, it's all the it's it, it's making good business decisions. In other words, does this decision make economic sense? So. Yeah. So business skills really involves really involves all those all those types of things. Yeah, and I'm curious. You know, you started uh, this topic right here on the making the statement that it takes a lot of skills, and um, you've worked with so many incredible people. Uh, have you noticed any um, trends uh, where people who enter into business with the right partners or people who have uh, who all bring certain skills to the table? Have you seen anything along those lines where it takes maybe multiple people to to do all these certain things right or how do you what do you feel about that absolutely no that's a great great point eric yeah because if somebody is really good in the kitchen and are just an exceptional chef or whatever and they don't know anything about business and they want to get off the ground quick quickly that type of person would do well with finding the right individual to be a partner that brings those business skills or maybe the systems and the in the operational you know type type things that they may they may not be skilled at to the table absolutely yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's one of the positive as- aspects and there's a lot of negative from having a partner but that's one of the positive aspects is having people with complementary skills definitely yeah. that's a great point and yeah. you know one thing that's really important um that i've picked up on is you know yeah you want to round out uh, this business with all the people that bring in certain skills to the table. But when you're doing this, you need to be extremely careful that the mission and the vision and where you want to take this business, everybody's on the same page. Uh, do, you yeah, have any, absolutely. do you have any advice? I mean, this isn't a topic on culture, but any really quick one-liners on uh, things you've noticed uh, doing this work you've done that can help us with just spelling that out? Well, um, obviously the, uh, you know, if you're if you're getting involved in a partnership type arrangement, the vision and the mission and the values are really really key. Those three items. They, you know, you, you, you want to all go to the same place. Okay, you have to have and a mission in my mind is how we operate every single day. What's our goal? What's our objective every day? It usually involves the customer and to some degree the employees. Okay, mm-hmm. but then you have to have the values too. Um, the values in terms of honesty, integrity, and innovation, and things like that, you have to be on the same page there as well. Because what your vision, values, and mission does, it really tells you how are we going to make decisions every single day. Mm. Okay, And that's what we do in business. Business is a series of making a lot of decisions yeah. every single day. And your employees make decisions. Your managers make decisions. Yep. And what... And what the vision, value, and values, and uh, and the and and the mission does, it really gives us a way of communicating how we want people to make decisions. Absolutely, and we're not going to dive down this road too far, just because. Uh, I mean, we could go all day, but it's definitely right. oh, yeah. worth yeah. mentioning. Like, yeah. you need to bring a lot of skills to the table. You might be somebody who's great in the kitchen, and if that's your jam, then awesome, do that. But huh. know that you might need to bring somebody else in, and if you do that, you need to take the time. Time to to really set these things down and to make them a part of your business. These missions, these visions, these core values, right. these all these things are not something to look past because they will make or break you in the long run. So um, exactly. Now let's yeah. dive yeah. deeper into what we were here to talk about today, which is um, the numbers. So um, what are some of these important numbers? What are some of these key things we should be looking at in our business? 
Well, I think one of the key numbers in any restaurant um, is your sales per square foot. Okay. Um, so in other words, let me, let me define sales per square foot. Sales per square foot, first of all, square footage is the total footprint of the building. It's usually the net rentable square feet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the biggest determinant, I believe, of profit potential. Because sales drives profitability. I mean, you know, that's, you know, there's no secret about that. Okay. So um, <clears throat> and let me just give you a benchmark. If, if, if you're in a table service restaurant, typically there's about, if it's 100 seats, it'll probably be about 3,000 square feet. Usually about 30 square feet for every seat in a table service restaurant. Okay. But most operators know what their square footage is. And when we talk about square footage, we're talking about front of the house, back of the house, dining room, the entire footprint, if you will, of that restaurant. Okay? Okay. Okay. Um, and let me give you just some, just some standards that I've uh, – or some, some rules of thumb that I've uh, uh, seen. And, I, and, and these are pretty consistent. Obviously, there's going to be some exceptions to this. Um, and this is when rent – now, rent can be a huge, you know – a huge factor that, uh, that that can influence this, but this assumes that your occupancy costs are less than thirty dollars per square foot on an annual basis. Okay, um, but in most restaurants that have a reasonable or average occupancy cost, and occupancy costs would include rent, property taxes, building insurance, and common area maintenance. If a restaurant can't generate at least $150 of sales per square foot, and this is a full service or table service restaurant, they, they will have probably no chance of making a profit. Okay. So a 4,000 square foot restaurant with sales of less than $600,000 is going to have a very, very tough time making it. Say that one more time. Okay. A 4,000 square foot restaurant with sales of less than $600,000, and that sales of $150 per square foot every year if they uh, is going to have a tough time making it if they can only generate $600,000 of sales. Okay, and again, the 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 magic number we're looking for here is $30 per square foot. And that is um your occupancy your occupancy costs or rent uh building insurance and maintenance. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. I, I've, I've done, I've done uh, seminars in, uh, in New York before, you know, and I've had people that have restaurants in Midtown and other parts of, of New York, and, and, and they come and they tell me that their sales are, or, or, their, or their rent expense alone is $80 per square foot per year. Well, obviously, you've got to do a whole lot more than $150 of sales per square foot in New York, okay? Um, but I think it's important that people know what their square footage is. And l- let me just go through and, get, and, and uh, you know, kind of when the break even hits and, uh, and when we start to make money and what, and what level of sales uh, most restaurants have to have to make really go- a good profit, uh, being a profit of over 10, uh, 10% net per year. Okay. 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 So l- let me also mention quick service as well. Uh, quick service restaurants generally need to generate over $200 of sales per square foot per year to have a chance of making a profit. Okay. And then break even comes into play, usually between $150 and $250 of sales per square foot in a full service restaurant. Okay. And in a quick service restaurant, it's usually about 200 to $300 of sales per square foot. It's a little bit higher in a quick service operation. It, it seems 
kind of intuitively it should work the opposite way, but it actually works this way. Um, quick service restaurants have a smaller pr- footprint. They have a higher concentration of equipment per square foot. Also employees, uh, kitchen employees and so on. They have a lower check average and their rent factor is usually higher on a per square foot basis in a quick serve operation versus full service. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I would, is it safe uh, to say that the quick service and, and counter service are more system dependent operations too? Yeah, probably. Um, but really, every restaurant is systems dependent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Well, moderate profit comes into play in a full service restaurant when you're able to generate between two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty dollars of sales per square foot. Okay. And in a quick serve operation, it's three hundred to four hundred dollars of sales per square foot. And that's moderate profit. And I would define moderate profit of being a net income of between 5% net and 10% net. Okay? Okay. 5 to 10% net. And where things start to get interesting and start to get fun for most restaurants, okay, that don't have rent of over $30 per square foot on an annual basis, um, is when full-service restaurants start to, uh, start to do over $350 of sales per square foot, and quick service restaurants start to do over $400 of sales per square foot on an annual basis. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a lot the of numbers. Most, I'll try to get yeah, yeah, all I know, the show notes, I know. but uh, yeah. it's, it's important stuff, and it, it, we, it's, it's definitely going to make a huge – so what's the, 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 the big takeaway in just two sentences uh, that we, that we want to focus in on what, in what you just shared with us? Well, I think the big takeaway is, first of all, if I'm not making much money – why? Mm-hmm. Is it because my sales are too low or is it because I'm hemorrhaging expenses? Am I not managing the, the, uh, uh, the restaurant very well? Okay. Do I need to really focus on marketing or my guest experience or do better on social media to try to generate you know, new customers or greater frequency or whatever? Or do I really need to put my head down and focus on my food costs, my inventory management, my portion control, and so on? Okay. Okay. So having some perspective of where my challenge is, because I tell you what, some restaurants, I've seen, seen restaurants that have sales of over $600, $700 per square foot, but guess what? They don't make any money. Mm. They don't make any money because they do a horrible job of controlling their food, their labor, and, and their other expenses, okay? Mm-hmm. And other restaurants, I mean, they, you know, they've got their menu costed out, they're, analy- they're doing menu engineering, they've got p- good portion control, but they don't make any money because their sales aren't high enough, all right? Yep. One of the keys to success in business as you go through your life cycle of your business is where do I need to focus my attention? Where are my core problems? Not where are my symptoms, but where are my core problems, all right? And numbers can help us identify where to go to, okay? They can help us eliminate certain areas, and they can help us focus on identifying where our core problem or core challenges are. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there, it's really comes down to the details and really looking into those gaps and finding out, you know, like, the, what are the little things we can do? What are the little tweaks? Where's the money going? And how can we close those gaps? Uh, you got to be looking right. at that constantly. Um, so right now, so far, we've talked about the uh, occupancy uh, cost uh, and what we need to be looking at, uh, basically projecting uh, square footage and how much we need to be making per seat and how to, you know, kind of project those costs. What are some of the other... Uh, important costs that we need to be looking at, um, some of the, the costs and things we wanted to discuss today. Okay, that's great. That's easy. The most important 
number on every restaurant P&L is prime cost, okay. bar none. Uh, maybe sale. Obviously, sales is an important number. But prime cost is a crucially important number. First of all, what's prime cost? Prime cost is, in a full-service restaurant, food and beverage cost. Okay, Or that's cost of sales. So in other words, a prime cost is cost of sales plus all of our payroll expenses. Okay? okay. So cost of sales in a full-service restaurant or a table-service restaurant is going to be food and beverage cost. If you're in a quick-serve operation... You're probably also, and it's highly advisable to put paper cost in cost of sales. Okay? No, why is that? Uh, because every time you sell something, what are you going to have? You're going to have uh, uh, you can have wrapping. You're going to have a box. You're going to have uh, napkins. You're going to have all that kind of stuff. Okay. Okay. So gotcha. paper cost is a is a cost to say it's a variable cost. More sales, more paper cost in a quick serve, uh, fast casual type restaurant. Yeah. Got okay. it. So essentially, okay. you're going to be doing more takeout and you're going to be doing more uh, so that that cost is naturally going to increase. So it's going right. to be a more heavily weighted cost you have to, to pay right. attention to. Got right. It. Okay. okay. All right. Then you've got payroll cost. Payroll cost is gross salaries, you know, wages for managers. All right. Um, management management payroll is going to be hourly employee, gross, gross uh, payroll for, for your hourly employees. And then payroll taxes, benefits, insurance, I would talk, call that taxes and benefits. Okay, so workman's comp, um, uh, any type of employee-related tax or expense would be included in employee benefits. Okay? Okay. And why is this number so important? It's so important for a number of reasons. First of all, um, if you tell me what your prime cost is, I can pretty much tell you what your net bottom line profit's going to be. Okay. The, the big, the big, if the variable is probably occupancy cost because some restaurants do real well, but their occupancy cost is totally out of line. Um, but what it does, it gives us insights on the profit potential and the unit economics of a restaurant. Okay. What do you mean and, by unit economics real quick? Well, um, take the unit economics of a, uh, of a Chipotle. All right. I mean, small, small space, very efficient line, um, uh, no servers. Okay. It, it's capable of generating a lot of sales with a minimum number of employees, if you will. Okay. okay? It's streamlined. The unit economics of a Chipotle is probably much better and also a lower investment because, you know, a, a lower in, investment to open a Chipotle's versus a, uh, a cheesecake factory, for example. Okay. That's probably an extreme example. Okay. Um, but it's just, um, it lends itself to higher profitability. Um, uh, and I don't mean cheesecake factory isn't, isn't, uh, uh, isn't a profitable operation. I don't mean that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, me, what I'm hearing real quick, Jim, is just that it's your margins. It's basically um, the you're saying that a Chipotle has a greater earning potential per unit uh, because it's going to be less expensive to operate a Chipotle versus a Cheesecake Factory, where you have a lot of specialized skills that are going to be need, needed there. Uh, bakers, uh, servers, there's a, a lot more moving parts going on, and your margins are going to be a little bit smaller than. Correct. Okay. Exactly. And and typically a uh, a restaurant um, a restaurant with good unit economics will probably have will have a lower break even point as well. Okay. okay? Cool. Thank you for diving okay. into that. For All me. right. You bet.
You bet. Uh, so we're talking about prime costs uh, and the the things that make up prime costs and why it's so important. That's when I asked you to dive deeper into what unit economics sure. were. Exactly, exactly. And and let me go into another big reason why prime cost is so important is that um, prime cost with hourly labor and your cost of sales, that's probably 80 or 90 percent of your costs that are somewhat controllable in the short term. All right. Most restaurants, if they have a cost control problem, it's going to be in prime cost. It's going to be in labor. It's going to be in cost of sales. Okay. Okay. If you're going to have theft or portion, obviously that's going to be reflected in your prime cost. And also the thing about prime cost, there are restaurants that have, you know, really high food costs, but guess what? They have a lower, they have a lower labor cost. And some restaurants operate with a higher labor cost and a lower cost of sales. Prime cost is the big big equalizer, okay? For example, if somebody asks me, well, my my food cost is 35%. How am I doing with a 35% food cost? Well, I don't know. I don't know what kind of a restaurant it is, Mm -hmm. okay? And and some restaurants, a 35% food cost could be be phenomenal. Others, it would be horrible, all right? But the reason, what gives you insights in in whether or not a 35% food cost is doable or reasonable is to look look at it from the from the standpoint of prime cost. What's your prime cost? Okay. So if you're, that leaves you approximately 30% for salary wages and taxes. Is that kind of where it comes in? Like, so if you're, if your food and beverage is 30% or just your food alone is 30%, then mm-hmm. you, then you have another, cause you want to keep it below 65%. Isn't that about where the, the sweet spot is? Like in a, in a table service restaurant, you're exactly right. Okay. In a table service restaurant, you want it to be 65, not any more than 65% in most cases. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you say, if somebody comes to you and says, my food cost is 35%, that leaves you an additional uh, like 30% for beverage and salary and wages. Um, well, well, the way you'd want to phrase that is my cost of sales is X. In other words, your food cost may be 40%, but, but after you, after you, uh, after you take into consideration beverage costs, which would be your alcoholic beverages, maybe it's 15, 20% of sales, your cost of sales is going to be quite a bit lower than 40%. Okay? okay. Got you. Your cost of sales is going to be probably 35, 36%. Okay? okay. Okay. But if you're, say, your cost of sales is 35%, yeah, you, you you should have a a uh, a labor cost of 30% or less to make it work to give you a prime cost of 65% or less. Okay, beautiful. So, okay. when we're looking at this number, what's basically what's our biggest goal uh in managing uh the prime cost? Well, if you look at your prime if you if your prime cost is over 65%, um <clears throat> is it because you're not doing a very good job of controlling your cost or are your sales too low? Because you've got some, some, some of those costs there, and prime costs are fixed costs, okay? Um, if you go in a little bit deeper and you look at management salaries, for example, a good rule of thumb is your management salaries should be no more than 10% of total sales, okay? Okay. So, go ahead. And probably, in most restaurants, your hourly employee, your gross salary, or your gross wages of your hourly employee should be no more than about 18% maybe 20%. Okay. So okay. go ahead. 
No, go ahead. No, I was going to say um, when we're looking at these numbers, uh, you said it's if it's if it's off. If we're over sixty five percent in a, a a full service restaurant, it's likely due to our sales are too low or we don't have control of our costs. Which mm-hmm. which one of those two things isn't more likely to be, in your opinion? Oh boy, that's a heck of a question. Um, <laughs> um, well, a lot of restaurants struggle with sales, obviously. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but in some operations, uh, especially ones that are driven by people who are great operators, they know how to, how to turn out really good, consistent food and they have a friendly staff and stuff. I mean, you know, their sales can be good. They've got a, a really loyal following, but you know, maybe they don't do a very good job of controlling their costs and maybe they're paying their managers, you know, more than what the, more than what the market is or, or so on. I know people are going to hate me saying that because that usually (laughs) doesn't happen, but, uh, um, but, uh, so it's really, yeah, I, I hate to generalize because, um, you know, I think that one of the biggest, you know, the biggest challenges in the industry. Yeah, I mean, there's so much competition. Everybody's fighting for customers. Yeah, so that's probably number one. Yeah. Let's assume yeah. that uh, our sales are good. Uh, you know, we're we're packed every night. Uh, we pe- our employees love us, uh, but we're still kind of out of control with our costs. What are some of the things we can be doing to uh, get more control over our expenses and our costs? Uh, and I'm assuming it's going to go in the direction of probably like inventory and systems controlling all those things. That's true. I think before that, though, I, I, we encourage people to start calculating their prime cost every single week. Okay. Okay. So you want to start? Tra- um, is it so you can track the trends? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Awareness. Uh, awareness is so is so so huge. Okay. Um, if people are aware of what their prime cost is running, that means they'll also know what their food cost is running every week. They'll also know what their beverage mm-hmm. cost is running every week and labor and so on. Okay. And if people understand if that awareness of what their costs are every week, they will start to do things that impact those costs. Okay. And we, uh, and let me also mention this. When you, when we talk about prime cost numbers and food and beverage costs, we highly recommend that people do a physical inventory at the end of every week. Um, and folks may say, well, that's a, that's a lot of work. But I tell you what, if you end your week on a Sunday, for example, and the managers come in early on a, on a say, a, a Monday morning, um, uh, we used to do this when I was a restaurant manager, and we used to knock out the inventory. And it was a barbecue place, and we had burgers and fries and and uh, we did a lot of a lot of our we did a barbecue sauce from scratch and stuff. But what we did is we had two or three groups of of managers come in, and we took a couple key employees. We had one person with a clipboard, two people that counted, and we had a separate team in the freezer. We had a separate team in the walk-in cooler in the dry storage area, and we knocked out our inventories very very quickly. If you don't do that, and you base your cost of sales on purchases, you never really get a true food beverage cost. In other words, how much food did I not purchase this week, but how much did I actually use? And that's the key number because if you have a problem with food or or paper or whatever, if you don't do physical inventory, you know, the the, the folks in the kitchen will say, ah, it's just a, it's probably an inventory problem because we bought a bunch of stuff at the end of last week and we didn't, you know. So I, I just want, want, I want, just, I don't want s- good Accurate numbers. Yeah, I just okay. want to uh, repeat that one more time. Um, food. So your your food beverage cost isn't what you purchased; it's how much food you sold that week. You actually used. You actually how much used. You used. 
Okay. Yep. So, so it purchases plus your beginning inventory, what you started off the week uh, with on the shelf, minus what you didn't use, i.e. the food, the liquor, the beer, the wine that's on the shelf at the end of the week. So is it safe to say our our um, our goal should be to minimize what we didn't use per week to keep money off the shelves? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and that's a part of it. We don't want to have too much too much food on the shelf, for example. Um, people will use more, uh, more will be wasted, more, more will spoil, we'll have to throw more out, and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, and that gets, in, <laughs> that gets into the number of day sales that we have in inventory, um, which is a whole other topic, but inventory control and PAR levels, reasonable PAR levels, are really important. Now, we don't want to get our inventory levels so low that we run out of product. Mm-hmm. That's, not the, that's not the point. But when I was a restaurant manager, um, you know, I, when I just had to decide on how much product I needed to order for the next week, I always used to add a, buy a little bit more because I didn't want to what? You don't want to run out. I don't want to run out because yeah. that's no fun, no. you know? Um, so you buy a little bit more. And, and the, the, prob- the problem is, is when you have that quote-unquote safety factor on a whole lot of products, well, what's a reasonable safety factor and what's an excessive safety mm-hmm. factor, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so... Uh, inventory control without getting into a lot of detail of ratios that we can use to monitor this. Um, uh, uh, inventory control is really important. And in, it, and par levels and things should be adjusted as you go into different seasons, you know. Uh, peak season uh, prime or uh, uh, par levels will be different than your slow season and so on and so forth, okay? But no, that's a great point, Eric. We do want to control our inventory levels. Absolutely. So, um I mean, you've dropped a lot of information on us, some great tools and resources. And for somebody who might not be strong in, in these areas we're talking about, I mean, are there any resources at restaurantowner.com that we can use to help us along the way with these things? Anything that you want to share with us before moving on? I'll tell you what, that is what we do. But I'll tell you what, if anybody is interested, we, 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 we have some templates on uh, calculating your prime cost uh, every day. You know, there are separate worksheets, one for for posting your uh, or keeping track of your purchases and then your payroll, calculating your, your hourly payroll, and then a worksheet that kind of combines everything from sales to beginning, ending inventory, and so on and so forth. But, but if anybody uh, might be interested in that, uh, in that template, just email info at restaurantowner.com and put in the subject line uh, prime cost, we will send you back a template for a table service restaurant that serves alcoholic beverages, a table service restaurant that doesn't serve alcoholic beverages, and also a quick service uh, uh, template as well that would be appropriate for a quick serve, uh, fast casual concept. Awesome. And I'll have that link in the show notes. This is restaurantunstoppable.com slash 301. Um, now, did we cut it short on inventory control? Is there anything else you want to talk about um, in regards to inventory control before we move on to what do you mean by open book management? Sure. Let me just quickly mention um, what I think is the best, one of the best and simplest and most basic inventory controls of all time. And that's keeping a running inventory on your key products. Most restaurants have about 10 to 12 products that really drive their food costs. They're usually their protein items and it may be fries or or some other low cost item, but you just sell a whole lot of them. Um, But what 
we recommend is that you track the usage of those items every single day because you've got a cash register, a point of sale system that's going to tell you how much you used of all that. And you can even do cheese and all. You can do every product because every product that you use in your menu should have a par level or have a portion that is used in all your different types of dishes and, and menu items. Okay. Um, l- let me just take a real simple one. Let me take um, a hamburger patties. Let's say we started out the week with 20 hamburger patties on the shelf, okay? And so Monday morning, I got 20, 20 on the shelf, and I receive a delivery of 100. So I've got 100 hamburger patties that day. At the end of the day, my point of sale system or cash register tells me that I sold 40 beef patties, okay? Um, so I should have 80 left in inventory. Uh, the management team or somebody from management would go will go ahead at the end of the night, count how many patties are left. So let's say we got 78 and we're two patties short. Now, do we have a problem with hamburger patties that day? Well, maybe, maybe not. If we're too short every single day, um, two or three short every single day, we probably know somebody's having a double meat cheeseburger in the back of the dumpster you know, every afternoon or something. <laughs> but let's say we're 24, 22 hamburger patties short one day. Then we know we've probably got what? Either theft or somebody who's burning a bunch of cheeseburgers on the grill or, or something or, yeah. yeah and it's probably going to be theft if it's that much cuz we'd notice if somebody was burning that yeah, many new and guy also on we want to have a yeah <laughs> and we want to have some sort of a system to to account for mistakes and things that we can't use too okay um, but the key is we didn't stop it but now we know it our guard is up our antenna is up we know we got a thief on our staff so we're going to start watching very very carefully what's going on and we'll probably um, we'll probably find that person eventually. Okay. Um, the problem is, is that if if operators don't do something like this, if there's missing product, guess what? They don't have a clue. Yeah. I mean, what yeah. You, what you track or what you you count, you can track. Absolutely. Absolutely. And think about the psychological control that managers counting product every day does for people in terms of what they think they can or cannot get away with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. If they know, if somebody looks down and sees, uh, you know, two or three boxes of New York strips, and they're thinking, God, I'd love to get one of these, you know, two of these boxes out, you know, out the back door. But if they know that management is going to be counting it, you know, it may discourage them from trying to get that out the back door because they know that, you know, things are going to happen when they discover that those are missing. Yeah. yeah. So aren't there a bunch of resources and tools today, um, just POS systems alone, that make this much easier? Uh, is there anything you want to shine light on in that regard? Yeah, most uh, most point of sale, you can do it right on your point of sale. You know, they have a way to to enter your your ending inventory and so on. You know, tell, they'll tell you what your ideal is. They'll tell you what you should have at the end of the day, and then you just have to count it and compare with that. And it's a fairly simple, straightforward process. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. Um, any last thoughts on inventory control before we move on to uh, the last topic of today, which is open book management? Um, I think there's so much more that we can say, yeah. but, but in the interest of time, we probably, we probably should leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So okay. Uh, let's move on to open book management. Something that I'm very interested in, something, uh, that is, I mean, just can have so much impact on culture. So what is open book management? Well, open book management, I mean, there, there's different definitions, I guess, for different for different companies. Uh, open book management is just giving people insights in terms of how the company's doing in terms of sales and cost and profit and so on and so forth. Um, but you don't have to be 
really extreme. I, we just we just interviewed one of our members who has a restaurant up in uh, Washington, Pennsylvania, and what he does every year, he gets all of his employees together, and he has 50, 60, 70 copies of his year-end P&L, and he gives everybody a copy of it, and they go through down through every single line item, okay? And he actually tells them how much money he makes, tells them his salary, lets them see what the bottom line is, and so forth. And the reason he does that, he wants people to realize that even though they gross, you know, over $3 million a year, he doesn't take home a million dollars every year out of that, okay? He takes out substantially less than that. And also, also from the standpoint of culture, just think how meaningful that can be to a lot of employees where they're getting to see, you know, you know, the numbers, something that most employees never have a concept of, and they're getting shown and they're, and they're, and they're trusted with that information. The deal is, okay, everything's got to stay. You got to give your P&L back and this is confidential information, but we trust you to do, to do the right thing with respect to, with respect to knowing that. So that's, that, that's a rather extreme, you know, that's at one end of the dial. Okay. Another end of the dial is we really believe that your employees should understand basic restaurant economics because if you ask a typical restaurant employee out of every dollar how much the owner gets to keep, what are they going to tell you? Oh, 50%, something stupid like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> they'll say 50%, 60%, some try, you know, whatever. Okay? And what I like to do when I'm at a restaurant and I get the check and when I put my credit when, – when, when that person, when the server brings the credit card back, I'll say, you know, you know I just spent uh, in this restaurant, you know, before the tip, $110. How much – how much do you think the owner gets to keep out of that $110? You wouldn't believe how many deer in the headlight looks that I get. You know, they have no concept of that. Yeah. You know, and then they'll blurt out a number like, you know, 50 cents or 20. I think the least I've ever heard is 25. You know, 25% of that number. So, um, yeah. And what I think that does, if your employees think you're getting rich, guess what? Can that impact their attitudes and their behavior and and what they think is theirs or, you know, they're yeah. not getting, you know, they're not sharing in the spoils and so on and so forth. So um, what we what we recommend is getting all your employees together, giving everybody 100 pennies. You can do it different ways. Let's say that you give them 100 pennies and say, these 100 pennies that are in front of you represent a typical dollar that comes into our restaurant in sales. And we want to show you where the money goes. We want to show you how much it costs to operate this restaurant. So you might start out saying, okay, I need 30 cents from everybody, 30 pennies for everybody for food. And I need uh, 20 pennies from everybody for the hourly employee wages. Um, and then I need six or seven cents for, for rent. And I need three cents for marketing. And I need, you know, a couple pennies for this or that or whatever. Okay, and by the time you get done, I guarantee, even if it's 10 pennies or 12 pennies or even more in front of those employees, I guarantee you it's going to be less than what they thought. Mm-hmm. And if it's five or six or four or three, it's probably good that the employees know that because this is a nickel and dime and penny business. Um, profit is made or lost every day hundreds of times in, in, in those, those areas that people can either make that nickel for you or they lose that nickel for you in terms of portion control, in terms of how they use the chemicals, in terms of all kinds of stuff in the dish room, how careful they are with the plates and all that, all that stuff in the trash. Yeah, so um, so that gives them a perspective that hey, you're probably not the fat cat that they think you are. 
Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, there's a few people I've had on the show who practice open book management. And uh, I mean, one of the big things we're doing on the show is trying to find out the habits, the, the things that people are doing within their restaurants to create that trust, to uh, <laughs> you know make sure that they're educating their people. And that's a big part of open book management is now you're right. educating your people. Now people are coming to work for you and leaving with skills they had that they that they didn't have. They have a sense of growth. That's so yeah, important. Um, and just like you said before, just the perspective. It, it, it gives people a perspective of what's actually happening and what it means if I do drop this plate and what it means if I, you know, if I do take a burger and I don't, you know, account for it in the system or if we steal, like all those little things, right. they matter. But People mm-hmm. are so many young people get into this industry. They just don't understand. They don't have the perspective. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of benefit that comes from this open book management. What are some of the reasons why people don't take this path? Um, probably never thought of it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of a lot of time independent restaurant operators. Um, I mean, they, they're so busy in the restaurant. Their heads are down. They don't. You know, they haven't learned anything new in the last ten years. Okay. Um, and I think, you know, some people might just feel funny telling the employees um, about how much, you know, I say, get, get over it. You know, I don't, the, the downside is, you know, what's the downside? Yeah. What's the downside if they know you're making a nickel out of every dollar? Okay. I've, I've actually had people tell me that they've told their employees, hey, we're losing money right now. And it had a positive impact. Yeah. Um, it helped people pull together. They felt like they were part of the team. They felt that they had something to contribute, and um, and it helped make things better. Yeah. So, um, yeah. You know, I think the big thing to take away with open book management is that that big T word there, trust. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, one thing I've learned is that in order to to get trust. You need to give trust, and there's, give it. I don't yeah. know a better way to, to give trust than to open up your financial book to your people and say, "This is what I make." This is, I mean, when you expose yourself, that's like the equivalent of a dog rolling over on its belly. Like you're exposing yeah. yourself when you make yourself vulnerable and you expose yourself to people. It's like the fastest way to develop rapport and trust, and it, it, it will only serve you. Um, it's a great yeah. mechanism for doing that. And, and the um, thing is, Eric, you don't have to tell them all the numbers. You maybe. You just tell them percentages. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you don't have to. You don't have to tell them. You know, hard. You know, hard dollars. Just tell them percentages. Yeah. And now, yeah. what resources do you have at restaurantowner.com that um, can help people if they are interested in moving in this direction with the open book management? Well, we have. Uh, I tell you what. Um, I don't know if we have any articles on open open book management per se. Um, you know, the little. Uh, uh, meeting that we talked about with the pennies. That's one thing that we advocate. Um, so I, so I, I guess that we don't have a whole lot, whole lot of in-depth things. And I, and I do have a video profile of the, of the gentleman who, who shows his employees, his, uh, his annual P and L's every year. Okay. Um, but I, I guess that, that is basically what we do. We don't, we don't go, we don't spend a lot of time and a lot of resources on open book, open book management. Well, the truth but, is uh, there, there isn't much you have to do. It's, it's nothing changes. Right. Yeah. All you're yeah. doing is, I mean, kind of the reason why I asked that was because I, I wanted to show people how easy it is to start. Um, all, yeah. you, all you really have to do is create a system for sharing. 
one system for whether it's posting your you know everything on the you know the the break room wall like with the numbers from the, the week before then the night before and you want it to keep i mean you can do it yearly or you can do it weekly but when people right. see the trends and see actually what's happening and they can see oh wow we're, we're entering our slow season maybe we should you know not clock in five minutes early like all these little things make an impact on the the overall expense and I mean, people, if given the option to do the right thing, and if you have their trust, nine times out of ten, they're going to do the right thing if they know. Um, So it's just as simple as just opening the door and, you know, providing a view into what's happening um, behind the scenes. And it's as simple as posting those numbers to a wall. And you can do that one little thing, and it will have a massive impact on your operation. Right, right. Um, Is there anything else, Jim, you want to talk about today? I'll tell you what, I think we covered a lot of yeah. a lot of information. You know, it's really kind of tough. Uh, I feel ba- it's, it's kind of tough covering uh, number topics without, you know, without the visual component, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> which is what we cover on our website. I mean, we have, you know, webinars and we have uh, uh, video training programs and stuff where you can not only hear, you know, hear the, talk, hear the talk about the numbers, but actually see it. But hopefully people kind of got an understanding of uh, of kind of some of the key key concepts here, and it, uh, it, it, it'll motivate them to learn more or actually do some things differently yeah. in the restaurant. And I was probably the most quiet today I've been in a while. It's because this is intimidating stuff. Even for me, like I'll admit this is not my strongest point. I've never owned a restaurant. I haven't been able to get in there and do these things, and it's hard to really get a grasp on it without actually doing it. But it's, it's something that needs to be talked about. Um, it, it's something we need to you know get good at if we do want to open our restaurant and um do you so you have past webinars uh queued up at restaurantowner.com where you really uh go through and you you really break this stuff down right yes exactly and yeah do do you have uh, any live webinars that you do repetitively or just the the um well we do we do live webinars every three weeks okay we do them on a variety of topics um we do them on financial topics culture leadership um, menu costing, I mean, all kinds of, all kinds of different things. So, um, we just really try to hit all, you know, all the important areas of creating and managing a successful independent restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's just kind of, that's just kind of what we do. So we try to hit all the, all the major, uh, major areas and all the skill areas that we think independent operators need to have to be successful. Awesome. And so if you want, if you're listening in on this, if you're a little bit lost today as we're throwing numbers around and you're trying to write things down and stay on top of what we're discussing, uh, if you got lost, uh, my advice is head over to restaurantowner.com, check out the webinars, start diving into this content, especially if you haven't opened your restaurant yet, if you're going to be opening your restaurant, get these systems developed before you, you start. Uh, treat your business like a business from day one or before you even open and it will make the process much easier because once that ball gets rolling, it's going to be much more difficult for you to have the time to sit down and to, to build this stuff out. It's just going to be really tough. You're going to be busy with other things. Any yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly right. And let me also mention, you, you kind of alluded to this. The thing about the numbers, a lot of people are intimidated by numbers. You know, Their eyes start to glaze over and stuff. The thing about accounting and financial concepts, unless you get into really in-depth type of stuff, but in a small business environment, in a restaurant, you should understand when your accountant starts to tell you about your numbers and they present something to you, you should be able to ask them, how did you get this number? What does this number mean? And they should be able to tell you in a very 
<clears throat> very simplistic, very straightforward and understandable manner. Mm-hmm. If your CPA or accountant can do can't do that, you've got the wrong accountant because mm-hmm. numbers this stuff is not rocket science. I promise you. None of the stuff that we talked about is rocket science. It really should make common sense to you. If it doesn't, um, the person who's telling you is not doing a very good job of explaining it. Awesome. Great stuff. And that CPA is really somebody you should have in your corner if you don't already. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome stuff today, Jim. Thank you so much for coming on. I I want you to call somebody out before we say goodbye. Who's one independent restaurant operator, maybe somebody who's come through your uh, services uh, that you just really admire and somebody aside from Missy Young, because she's already been on the show. You can't call her. Oh, gee. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's funny because I was going to recommend her daughter, Shyla. Oh, I'll get Shyla on the show. Have you had Shyla? Shyla. Is Shyla's amazing. All right. She's she's probably just a little over thirty. If she's thirty yet, she will astound you with what she knows. And she 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 runs uh, the squeeze in now. Oh really? Okay. Awesome. Yeah. And that's yeah. Shyla. Am I yeah. saying it correctly? Shyla. Shyla. Yeah, look S-A- out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming after you. Spell that for me if you're about to spell it. S H I L A. All right, beautiful. I'm coming after you, Shyla. Uh, and Jim, it's been great. Uh, you're always welcome back on the show. I can't wait to get your partners back on the show or on the show for the first time. Oh, great. Uh, so those great. will be coming up in the next uh, couple uh, months, guys. Keep your eyes open for the rest of the restaurantowner.com. Not the rest, but some of the other team members will be coming on the show. Uh, we'll be diving into some great stuff. And Jim, thank you so much for joining me today, man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable. No, always a pleasure, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. Anytime. There you have it. Another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you very much, Jim, for coming on the show. Uh, so I hope you guys found value in uh, some of these numbers that uh, Jim shared with us. Maybe you're not running uh, a running inventory. Maybe you're not checking your prime costs once a week and tracking Oh, where that's going. And if you're not, maybe you should, <laughs> or not, maybe you definitely should if you want to be unstoppable. And if at any point you got lost today, if uh, some of the numbers got confusing or you just weren't really just uh, getting it all, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 301. I uh, summarized the topics of today's discussion, and uh, I have the key words in there that we discussed, like running costs, like prime costs, like uh, square or sales per square foot and all that sort of thing. Uh, so what you can do is head over to Restaurant Unstoppable, uh, click on the restaurantowner.com link where you can get 10 days for $1 if you guys use that link. Don't forget. And what we can do for you, uh, once you get over to restaurantunstoppable.com, just use the keyword search to search those topics we discussed today to take it to the next step. And they also have webinars, uh, past recorded webinars over there that you can uh, you know, sit through, get the visuals. Uh, I'm sure that will really help. Uh, but you know, these are the things we need to do. If you are thinking of opening a restaurant or if you're in the process of opening a restaurant, now's the time to learn all this stuff, guys. Uh, and if you never really took the time to learn it and you're, you know, you're floundering, you're flapping around like a fish out of water in your restaurant and you're stressed out, you don't know which direction to turn, restaurantowner.com can help give you that direction. Uh, so it's never too late to start. Uh, so don't think that it's a lost cause if you didn't do it while you were in those pre-opening stages. It's never too late. It might be a little bit more difficult now, but these are things you need to do, and now is the time to start. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 301. 
find the banner in the show notes, and then get to work today on making your business, your restaurant, unstoppable. And guys, I need help. Shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com with your ideas, with the people you want to hear from. Uh, Who is killing it in your community? Who is the guy or gal who is just unstoppable with their restaurant and uh, doing incredible things? And let's make an example of them. Let's bring them on the show. Let's have them share their story of how they did it, uh, where they failed, and how they got back up, and what recommendations they have for for us. I mean, I I can do it all myself, but I'm telling you, it, it will be better and way more impactful if I get the leads from you and make this thing organic. Uh, let's let's do this together, guys. And set up those one-on-one chats. I love those one-on-one chats. There's no better way to connect with my listeners than to have a, you know, a, a discussion with them. You can get 15 minutes with me. Uh, ask me your questions. Uh, share your ideas with me. Uh, if I don't have the answer, uh, I, I know somebody who does, and I'll help connect you with, with that person and uh i mean I, I just love to serve so take advantage of it i'm here for you uh you gotta you gotta contact me though that's how this works and uh i think that's all for today guys uh i'm loving this can't wait for the next 300 episodes 300 down 300 more to go hey we might as well just bring it to a thousand episodes let's keep this mofo going uh thanks for all of your support up to this point guys so much appreciate you love you all until next time peace out.